On Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's Experts. Yeah, it is uh, one of my favourite segments of the week. It's an opportunity for us, as I always say, to find out a little bit of the story behind the name. And I'm looking forward to today's guest. Uh, He's a regular on Sky Sports Radio. You'll see him as well on the screens of Sky Racing. And he's he's a key trainer here in New South Wales. His name is Brett Kavanagh. Welcome to Monday's Experts, Brett. Morning, Dave. How are you? I'm very well, mate. Uh, I approached you last week to come on this segment, and I know that uh, you're a man of a few words sometimes when you do these these chats when we talk about horses, but I thought you've got a wonderful story that a lot of punters and people out there across New South Wales are going through a pretty shitty time at the moment, and it might be nice to have a little smile and a, and a laugh. Um, I want to start, though, your story. Um, where did you grow up, mate? I don't think I have yet. <laughs> Um, Roma, Roma. Uh, went to school in Roma in, in um, on the Darling Downs in Queensland, and then I probably uh, started to grow up into my late teens um, at Charleville. Yep. And um, I left there. Went to Melbourne. Done a quick stint breaking in for Bart when I was allowed um, at Gowanbury Lodge. And uh, then I sort of wandered around Sydney as a teenager, breaking in and rode a bit of work. Um, then I ventured to Western Australia, um, shearing sheep, and that took up the next fourteen years. Yeah, when I ask you, I'll go back, go back a bit because I know your your grandfather. Um, he was a one of Victoria's best trainers back in the day, and is that where you met Peter Moody as well? No, he was Western Queensland, my grandfather, and he was yeah. Look, he was uh, he managed properties, you know, was, sort of had six eight thousand sheep and and thousand head of breeding cows. So we, he had a good rural background, and uh, when I became involved with him, he was sort of getting into his latter years, and he was managing a place, and then he started training a few horses in a bigger way. He always had one or two and work on the property. Um, and then when he went to Rome, he sort of had six or eight in work, and and um, yeah, that's that's where we we probably got our initial grounding was off him and a, and a guy called a, an Englishman called Joe Farnden. Um, that's probably where we got our grounding. What was it about the horse that that you liked back in back in the younger years? Like you know, I, you know, I know you did some what track work when you were twelve. Uh, for Frank, but what was it about it? Was it was it sort of one of those situations where it was around around you as a youngster, so you had to get involved whether you, you liked it or not, or did you genuinely love the animal back then and just go, wow, this is you know something I want to be a part of? I don't think we had a choice. You know, we didn't have Facebook or Tinder or any of that sort of stuff. We, um, <laughs> you know, we we grew up on a property. You had races on a Saturday. Um, Transistor radio, you'd screw your ear and listen to Burnt Bright and Vince Curry and and Tappy and those guys. As a, I'm talking like five, six, seven, eight year old. Um, so all you had on the cattle property was a transistor radio to listen to the races. You'd go and watch the local footy on a Sunday if it was a home game, or you went to the local races. Uh, big event was going to track work at Augustella on a Saturday morning. You know, like 15, 20 horses working, and like that was the highlight. You had a little bit of pony club rodeo. 
and it was it was all about the horse. There was no skate parks, no mobile phones. Everywhere you went was a horse. You went mustering was a horse. You know, like I don't think I seen a motorbike until I was. It was can't remember. You know, like it was was all about the horse. It was drovers. So we were just naturally brought up with horses. That's that was our probably our recreation was horses. You know. So you you growing up with it. You're you're dealing with it, and then. The, the shearing which you mentioned, because I didn't realise this until reading about you over the weekend that you you held a world shearing record in yep. 1997 for um, you know, when you shore 427 in eight hours yep. um, in the Riverina. So how did you make the the transition from, or, or what made you make that decision to go into shearing sheep? I probably just had enough of horses and I probably didn't have a bank to go training and I didn't want to be like a lot of trainers, just go training for the sake of it and and be starving, um, so I, I thought I'd just wandered off like a gypsy, and I went over to WA and started shearing with a guy called Wayne Bishop, and and um, he said, mate, I wish you were a racehorse, so I'd have a good one, so he put a bit of time <laughs> into me, and um, we just trucked on, I think my first year I shot 200, by year four I was shearing 400 regularly, and then um, I shot a world record, and then I never wanted to shear again, but probably the, the want to shear a world record was the fact that it was all about the Kiwis. You know, they owned the Melbourne Cup and they were the only one that could shear a sheep. So, you know, well, Bart changed that with the Melbourne Cup. So I think I was the first Aussie to take the Kiwis on at a world record. And since, there's been quite a few. So, yeah, it was groundbreaking stuff. It was hard work. But, um, yeah, I, I was never in doubt about it. I was always confident that we could do it. But, uh, you know, they've, they've taken it to bigger numbers since. So, but it was good. It was a good experience. Then after that, you jump back into to training. What was it? Was it what was the reason to jump back in? Did you just have that drive for it again? Yeah, well, I, I had a shearing contracting business, which are good businesses, and um, I had four children in the backyard. And when we decided to move somewhere, we found this uh, lovely old house on on thirty acres opposite the Tokemore Racecourse, and uh, we bought that. And I mucked around with the shearing sheep and. Started off with a couple of horses in the backyard, and uh, actually I had no horses. And I, I built some stables, and I, uh, I rang Bart up, and I said, "Look, can I come up and uh, break some horses? And I want to get my hand back in." And he said, "Yeah, no worries, son." So I, I drove all the way to Prince's Farm, and he said, "There's 60 here to do." So I drove back home and got my gear, and, and I came back up. And probably the best part about that was, was his um, wonderful son Anthony. He was there. Uh, doing some penance. He was living in a cottage alongside of me, so um, Anthony was just having a little holiday at the time. And um, I was lucky. I was breaking in. I got my hand back in on the horses, which I hadn't touched for 14 years, but I was knocked off work at the start of work. Anthony was walking around the farm and um, I got to have various conversations with him about training and, you know, just I was pretty lucky. It was like going to work with the horses and then going to the library sucking Anthony's brain because there's probably not too many as intelligent around with him with a trainer's license. So I was very lucky. Yeah. Okay. So that that process starts um, as that's building up. And I know you obviously you know you you're getting your eye back in for it. You're working there at Prince's Farm. There must have been some tough times early doors. Do you reckon? Were there moments where you thought, "Geez, have I made the right? Have I pulled the right rein here?" Never. I never ever had that feeling, you know. I was, I suppose, I was pretty well schooled up through the TJ Beg days. You know, John Peatfield. I had a had a weaponry of 
of armory behind me where I knew yep. all about this. I just needed a refresher course. And, you know, well, I went to Bart. And I, that was a year when I I think there was some great stallions come about. And um, he it was a year then he went and bought really big. So I got to work with really good bloodstock. And I just had AJ in my head. And I went home and just put it all together. And, yeah, we pressed on like we won 10 or 12 SDRA premierships. Uh, back in those days, there was two good trainers there, Brian Cox and and um, and the Freya camp. I got to meet Jack Freya. He was a legend. You know, these guys were training 100 winners in the bush, and uh, Cox was a leading trainer at a spring carnival. So I was pretty lucky. Uh, I was I was aggressive. I wanted to get around them too, and um, and that was hard work. And that's where we built the numbers, and we just kept at it and at it and, until we were yeah, we the leading trainers in the Riverina, and, and that probably was enough um during that time i had a couple opportunities i was always nipping away you know wanting to go to town wanting to go to randwick because i've always wanted to train at randwick that's that's been my dream you know but every time i looked at it and done figures it it was probably a recipe for starvation and i didn't want to go and starve because i have a pretty lucrative business in the country and I, i thought i'd just you know stay in the country a couple of good judges said you don't need to go there just do what you're doing a good horse will come along so i'm still waiting for the good horse what about um, moving to Scone? Talk us through that process, and, and why did you pick Scone as your next port of call? I wanted to come to Scone oh, probably 15 years ago. I had a good form with Jimmy Cherry and Kent Wade at the time, and, and I wanted to send, just send them up breaking in with a truck. Um, but I, I had this association of the Hunter Valley. Peter Moody used to come up and look at yearlings, and we'd done that for eight or nine years um, together. And, you know, we'd do 30 or 40 farms in the hunter. So I, I had a sort of one-on-one relationship with a lot of guys. And when I come to Scone, I was pretty lucky at one stage that we're training for 24 farms. So I got I got good support and I still receive good support. But uh, you've got to train winners and look after your horses, you know. Yeah. You mentioned Peter Moody. He's... he's one of your best friends, um, and you've been on some wild rides with him. I was lucky enough to hear you one day speak at a, a luncheon about a black caviar and uh, the fact that you got to go over with Peter for that uh, time when she won. For our audience and listeners, tell us, you know, what role and, and that sort of story, because it is gives me a bloody um, a shiver down the spine when I hear it every time you say it. It was pretty simple. I I'd only went and watched her race once, I think, and that was at Mooney Valley. There's a couple of starts before she went overseas, and he said, we'll take her to Ascot, tongue-in-cheek. Anyway, when Ascot all came about, he just rang me up one day, and he said, listen, we started this journey together. He said, I want you to come to England with me. So we booked a ticket and um, went to England for three or four weeks, and, yeah, it was, it was great. You know, Newmarket, everyone I see, I tell them to go to Newmarket. Like, you, you took a truckload of trainers to Newmarket and, and stood them at the bottom of Warren Hill and, you know, a thousand horses walk past them in three hours. They, you know, the only thing they'd be doing is wiping dribble off their chin because it's just amazing. You just go, wow, what's going on here, you know? Mm. Um, but the whole exercise over there was, was a learning curve. Um, we went up to France for a quick look. We were pretty well received everywhere, everywhere we went. We got to look at everyone's horses, their feed room. We went to a lot of track work and come home with a lot of knowledge. What about that time when she raced? I mean, even though you weren't there... As a, a trainer or a connection, how were the nerves that day when she uh, when she won the big one? Yeah, it was pretty it was pretty tally. He'd be all right if Nolan hadn't turned up drunk and galloped her on the Tuesday <laughs> morning. And uh, I actually clocked. I went and bought a couple of watches, and 
and I because there wasn't any watches on Warren Hill and all these horses getting ready for Ascot, and I was envious on how they worked and what times they were running, and and um, like we were seeing horses the stouts the next day, they were inviting us around, and you were watching their recovery and and getting a real good insight in how those Englishmen train. Anyway, she I clocked a couple of group horses that you know the trainers told me this is such and such is going to that race, and I'd been clocking them. Um, it wasn't the Alba Hathaway, I forget. The Lime Kiln, it's the famous grass track that they have their last gallop on before they go to Ascot. And I'd clocked some really good horses and they were coming up there in 23, you know, to pick over. And Anyway, um, Trumby turned up with a real good alcohol breath and jumped on her and let her rip up the hill. And, uh, yeah, she ran up in about 21 and a half. Anyway, Moody came running over and he knew I had a clock. And he said, what'd she run? And I showed him. He said, you want to get rid of that clock? It doesn't work. Clearly, something wrong with it. <laughs> So, but um, shit, that was that was regular for her. I I remember a couple of times Smurden told me he clocked her and and uh, he said to Moody one morning she was running up and he said, mate, this is going too fast to come around the corner and left to go around the back of the grandstand. So, <laughs> but no, it was a good experience. Um, obviously when they went over the line that day, it was a bit scary, but you know, it's all all history now. She won. She's a superstar. And we're back to reality with the art for slow horses. Yeah, you, you, at that time though, mate. Um, I mean, to to stand there, as I said, even though you weren't a connection, and you weren't, um, you know, in the book, to stand there with with a bloke who you you know pretty much grown up with and been on that journey together. In a, from a reflection point of view, that must have been pretty bloody special. Oh, for sure. You know, it's something you take to the grave with you. It's one of the greatest moments in my racing career. Um, you know, even though it's, it's nothing to do with you, it's, it's like when we go to Kitchener and we still look at her. You know. You see car loads of guys jump out and, you know, Mick Price and Clinton McDonald every year if we go looking at Yulins and she's always on show at Kitchwin and they lead her up on the lawn for Peter and he gives her a pat and everyone gets the phone out and they want a photo of her and I've never done it. Moody said to me one day, he said, why don't you get your photo taken with her? He said, you know, and he was a bit nasty about it. He said, what, don't you like her or something? I said, mate, it's like getting your photo taken with someone else's girlfriend, you know, like. It's just, just not what I want to do. I've had a touchy feeling. I've got some great photos of her in England the morning after she raced. And, and before, I got a lot of one-on-one time with her, and I learned a lot about her um, in the sort of 14, 15 days leading up to the race. Um, yeah, no, it was, was great. So you make the move to Scone. Uh, you're starting off in Scone. You're getting that support from uh, various farms up there, a lot of farms, and, you know... You, how, what about the change in country racing in New South Wales from when you started in the Riverina to where you are now and obviously, you know, the infrastructure that's going to be built up there at Scone? I think it's the depth, the depth here. Um, at Albury, you know, you Matty Dale, Barbara Joseph, um, Nick Olive, Keith Dryden, good trainers, really, really good trainers. And They'd go to Wagga and every now and then they'd stay away from Auburn and we'd have a field day. It wasn't that strong. And then Hazy come along and he bought his bad horses there and we could still win and, and make a good living. But here, you've got to be very accurate about placing your horses because, you know, you, the other day I walked out of my barn walking through the car yard, you know, there's Portelli, there's Snowden, just on and on and on, city trainers. Whether they're bringing, you know, their slowest horse here or their best horse trying to win a maiden or for whatever reason... Um, Gee was it's hard to win a race here. It certainly is. What about that infrastructure, mate? I mean, you, we'll talk about your kids. Um, you know, they're obviously heavily involved in, in the business and, and that must make you proud that they're keen to, you know, continue on the Kavanaugh name and racing. It does set it up for them if they want to 
go out maybe one day on their own or do something that you know that the, the game's going to be around for them and it's going to be in good hands. Yeah, correct. And, um, you know, I've been lucky. My children are pretty well received in the industry. They, you know, they've worked at Inglis's and they've worked for a number of studs um, on the yearling scene. They're, they're, um, they're always busy. They've always got a job and a quit. So, um, and obviously with, with the money that um, they're going to spend here on infrastructure, this will be a super centre, I have no doubt. Um, if COVID wasn't around, it would probably be built or at least three quarters built. You know, COVID's obviously put everyone on the back foot a little bit, um, just restricted work and, and getting a lot of stuff done. And it's alive and well again, COVID. But, um, you know, like everyone that's out there whinging about that life and hard tracks and I can't get a grass to gallop on, you know, I have a think and the thought for the people um, that actually haven't worked for 12 months. You know, we've been pretty bloody lucky that Belandis has kept us all going. Um, second biggest industry in Australia, and we're all going to work. So, you know, trainers, when you think you're going bad, mate, have a think about the rest of these guys in lockdown. You know, they're the, they're the sufferers. Um, we've been lucky. Our show's been kept on the road. Yeah, here, here. Um, or I, I want to talk about uh, Jack because uh, I got to see a... We went to a luncheon, um, and it was a before Newcastle Hunter Day, and it's to do with the, uh, the, the the chopper up there, the rescue chopper that they raise a lot of money for. And you spoke at that luncheon about a, a track work incident your son had. And I know you wear your heart in your, your chest, but you were emotional that day. And I'm sure you still get emotional when you think about it and talk about it. But for those that are listening um, out there that, that aren't aware, you, as I said, he had a nasty fall that day at track work. Yeah, actually, it, it, there's a bit of a laugh about it. And now his first ball he had was um, Aubrey were, were trialling the guidepost on the outside of the sand track. Anyway, he was just allowed riding work before he went to school. And anyway, one crashed to the ground with him and oh, Jack's on the ground and he had a, hanging onto his foot a bit. And so we was um, either the curator at Aubrey scooped him up in the ute and took him over the stable, sat him on a bucket. And he, someone said to his mother, Jack's hurt his leg. She'd come down, cut the bird off. She said, just soft tissue damage, put it in ice. Five operations later, 12 screws, three plates. His mother was soft tissue damage. So he got he got through that one all right. And um, and then obviously the fall here was, uh, was a bit hard to swallow for a while, but he's back alive and, he's back alive and well. Uh, his birthday yesterday, he's out mm. and about. He's uh, back breaking in and working horses, so... We dodged a bullet there. Certainly did, mate. Give the give the chopper mob a, a rap though, because I know that day you were telling the story about how, you know, it was it was pretty frightening stuff. And if it wasn't for that chopper and those blokes uh, and ladies in that first response, the story could have been different. Oh, incredible what they do! You know, they save so many lives. It's just crazy, and for nothing, you know, they don't charge you to come and pick you up and, and take you to hospital. It's it's all donations, and I think I had a table there last year, and um, I think we raised. Just a figure, twenty-eight or thirty thousand. You know, just off our table, there was five and ten thousand dollar donations, and you know, I think everyone was pretty much happy to walk out of there barefooted. Just donate as much as you can to it. It's it's a pretty good project. I I actually thought I was going to have to ring it last night, actually, because calendar broke down outside Mudgee, and he rang Desi Kennedy to come and get him. He was a damsel in distress, but it turned out he only had a flat tire and he didn't know how to change it. Fair income. He didn't know how to change the tire. No idea how to change the tyres yet. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get a run tomorrow uh, when he's on. Hey, 900 winners. How long until you get to the 900? What number are you at? I don't know. I think 900's not far away. It might only be 10 or 12 away, you know. But 
Um, only thing I brought that to my attention was um, there was a bloke passed a comment on the other day. He said, "Kevin, I can't train," and and um, I told one of my kids, and they said, "Hang on a minute, Dad, you nearly got nine hundred winners. You're heading for a thousand. He said they had eight last year, so I'm not too sure how they're going. Was it a fellow trainer that potted you? No, I don't think he is. I, I think he's sort of one of them guys that uh, yeah just has an opinion. But anyway, okay. we'll move on from him. We'll we'll find him one day. <laughs> I'm sure you would. I wouldn't like to meet you in a uh, in a dark dark alley with those no, sort of stats. I'm a lover, mate. I've got four children. I'm not a fighter. <laughs> um, who's the best up and coming young trainer at the moment? Because there's a lot of uh, young blokes out there that are coming up through the grades. Um, in your opinion, and I've, uh, your opinion is um, is appreciated. Who do you think it is? Look, I looked at all the premierships this year in the country. They've all been won by. You know, breakout trainers, um, a good young batch of trainers, good horsemen. I, I think to be a good trainer, you got to have the touchy feel. You got to look at it. You know, you got to pay attention. You don't have to live with it, but if you're brought up with horses in your backyard, you got a bit on the bloke that wasn't. Um, I'm not going to knock anybody, but there's a lot of good young trainers out there. They're getting a lot of second-hand horses from town. They're doing a good job with them. But for me, if I had to give a bloke a horse to train, I think I'd give it to Clint Ludnam. Nothing against okay. you, Cody Nestor, or any of you other blokes. I just, I just like Clint's way he gets around. He's, he's quiet, um, assesses everything. You know, if you want to find Clint Ludham, you go go and look for him. He doesn't make much noise, but yeah, I think he's the up and comer. Um, another bloke out there trained a lot of winners in a breakout year. He's, he's uh, Brett Rob, but I, I yep. don't know enough about him to, to um, I don't haven't watched him, but I've watched Clint for since he's had a trainer's licence and giveaway riding, and I reckon he's just creeping along there really good. Probably the only thing that is missing for them good young trainers is a pathway to the city. Um, you know, it's so hard to get up in the city. You know, I remember Matty Dale and Nick Olive just punching out winner after winner, you know, um, and good trainers and would have cut it in Sydney. But it was there's never, you know, is there 20 boxes and one of those accommodation blocks at Randwick becomes available for one of them up-and-coming trainers. It'd be great just to see if they got the support and, and let them go and have a go, you know. Yeah. What about uh, you watch a lot of Sky Racing, and we spoke about this, the best presenter and best race caller? Oh, Radley by a million mile. Probably Sparkles is second. Yep. And uh, oh, Flindell. Flindell and, and the It's Me call when she powers up, that's as good as it gets. He can get the goosebumps on the back of your neck. I've, yeah, I reckon Flindell's a bit cooler. Well, 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 let's let's talk about It's Me. Um, in the run, how were you? How were you travelling? Did you think that she was in a in froth and bubble? I was just about to hail a taxi and leave. <laughs> I was about to hail a taxi and leave. Like, I actually watched it with Maddie Jones leaning over the fence, and I said, "Have a look at this. This is just what we didn't want." But you know what? He won, he got the job done. Uh, if it opens up in front of him, he wins by five, you know. So, But that's him mm. when you put him on. I, I use him when I go to town a lot, Jason. I've got a good strike rate with him. Uh, he doesn't handle instructions too well. Just let him go and do his own thing. If my horses are fit and he gives them a good ride, they win. Simple. When you rec- when you got her into the stable originally, and although, look, her preparation was extraordinary. What, you know, she every time you just kept raising a bar, she would jump it. Uh did she give you the indication early doors that she was she was special, or did she just can just improve out of sight? Early doors before that's why she went 
on her first little tendon stretch, we sent her away. Sam rang me, Sam Lyons, and he said, mate, if this is good enough, we'll send it away. I said, it's good enough. Um, then when she come back, I probably she sprung it on me when she won here. We thought she could win, but not a good thing. But um, just her e-tracker readings, when she won that maiden, the next three or four gallops were just, yeah, they were through the roof, you know. But if it wasn't Kosciuszko, it was going to be a really good race. But obviously we, we zoned in on the Kosciuszko because of the money and, and the advertising that the Kosciuszko brings for grand syndications. So it was good for their business yep. and they were happy to go that way. What about your business, though, mate? I mean, I mean that's a big feather in the, the cap for you as well, considering that depth, as you mentioned before, in country racing now. Oh, I have no doubt that our quality of horse um, has improved. Uh, there was a few guys jumped on board. There's some good owners. You know, I've got a lot of those guys that sort of got wheat crops and, and all that. They, they've given me some well-bred horses, you know, ones and twos. They've turned up. There's some nice young horses coming through those. A lot of those, I call them cockies or ground parrots, those blokes out around Gunnedah and that. Mm. But, um, you know, they just want a good horse. They've supported me. Um, I, I think everybody's aware now that you need a well-bred horse. Um, and a lot of guys want to breed a horse. There's a lot of those blokes who got two or three mares and they're breeding horses. But, um, yeah, look, we've, I think we've been pretty well received with well-bred horses from day dot here. That There hasn't been anything super um, since the Kosciuszko. We had well-bred horses before and we've got well-bred horses now. So we just got to try and do it again. Will she go back to back? Have you, have you, have you got her yet? I don't know. There's four or five others in the yard. They might stretch her before she gets there. So... Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's pretty exciting. The next, well, you know, she was a maiden this time last year, so um, I'm mindful of that. It's uh, that if you've got a good young horse, he's got to come out now and win a maiden. And then those highways present themselves leading into the Kosciuszko, but also there's, you know, you're in the midst of a spring carnival coming up. If you can win a listed race where you highlight yourself there, but if you think you're going to win a class two or a 66, you know, around the bush and get picked, genuinely get picked, you, you, you won't qualify because, the, you know, the top, I've had a look at the top 25, 30 horses and uh, they're already presenting themselves. Unless something comes from obscurity, um, I think you'll find that the, the betting's got it pretty pretty much right. I think if those horses from Coral were right, you know, there's a couple of horses in the SDRA, obviously the Canberra boys will have something. There's, and there's plenty of horses in our area. See a couple warming up there most mornings, you know, so it won't be easy. Mm. Mate, what about um, the future? If you could change one thing in racing, your uh, your say your Peter Valandis for the day, what do you change? If you change anything go, at all, I'd just go and claim Valandis, mate. That's what I'd do. What was he that? Hasn't done enough for racing, you know. To, to keep racing yeah. and football going is amazing. Love him, mate. He, he's done a great job. Um, you know, if he was on the Titanic, mate, it wouldn't have sunk, I can guarantee you. <laughs> he I don't mind, the, I haven't heard that just, one. <laughs> he just gets the job done, you know. Um, <laughs> That's good. He's got, a bit, he's got a bit on his plate at the moment, but anyway, yeah. he, uh, he keeps turning up, so that's all he's got to do. He does his job and we do our job. And, and you know, look, obviously, racing's kept going. Everyone's just got to pull their weight and, you know, and try not to mingle. We've got a habit of standing around in groups. I know it's going, you know, we... Three or four trainers might get close, and then the next minute we're all standing on our own. And you know, well, we probably all don't like one another anyway. But, <laughs> but what um, yeah, what, you what just about? Got to do what is there anything you are worried about, though? Like when I've had these chats before, you know, obviously we speak about staff and et cetera. And I must admit, I love chatting with, you know, when I chatted with Ronnie Quinton 
one day and, and even other, um, you know, jockeys especially, and they bring up a key point that you mentioned early doors about, you know, you didn't see a motorbike for, for a long, long time. It was all about the horse. Now when you go west, we you see quad bikes. You don't see them doing as much horse work as they once did. Does that worry you? I mean, do we need to, as a, as a game, be getting back to our roots out in the bush and, and really sort of driving home how good our game is and there's a lot of money to be made? I think, yeah, all of that's correct, 100%. But um, looking forward and, and having a solution, racing New South Wales behind the tape at Stone is, is going to be a solution because if they take in 50 kids, to be apprentices, and obviously they can't ride, but there'll be a pathway, you know. They can go and be a vet nurse. There's, there's a vet clinics here everywhere, you know. There's, they can go to a stud, you know, whether they're with the mares, the foals, the wieners, the yearlings, the stallions. Someone will find them a job. And I think probably uh, this time of year, the internationals um, is probably what we're missing, the backpackers as we call them. But a lot of people that are, um, you know, got their skill set from Ireland and, and America and the off-season studs, they come over here and they work. And I get a lot of riders that are, you know, English and, and Irish. And um, I've been lucky that I've been lamped with a couple because they can't go home. So uh, I think we're probably going to be um, staff-starved until the international scene opens up. Uh, in the meantime, you know, if we can get this rolling in Scone and, and put 50 kids through every month or six weeks, you know, I'm, I'm sure that they'll find work around Scone and it might solve um, solve some of our employment issues. Mate, biggest win or best win in your mind ever? It, was it It's Me or was it, you know, something else? Because I remember going back through your stats and I picked this up off your website too. You had that big day at the Gold Coast. Oh, what, back in 2008, the Prime Minister's Cup, etc. Yeah, I thought I got a double that day. Snowden turned up with one and beat me and I asked him if he was going to Burke the next day. He was going everywhere at the time. I think he turned up with a pretty good old school old candy. He'd run a record and beat us. But oh, look, I've had some great days. You know, just, I won a Binaway Cup one day. I was as happy as Larry was. You know, I'm just happy to win a race every day anywhere I can. Um, I don't like getting beat. You might see it outwardly, but inwardly, I don't like it. Biggest win? Oh, getting married to Lauren, I suppose. That's my biggest win. <laughs> Did you keep you on your toes? <laughs> what? Critic. <laughs> toughest, toughest critic there is. Mate, um, I've I've enjoyed the last little bit here, chatting. Have you enjoyed this? Yeah, of course. Good, You've mate. You've got to be That's very good. careful. There's a lot of people listed, so I've got to be very, very careful. Yeah, it's good, mate. I think um, you're very well respected in the game, and I think people appreciate. I know I do anyway when I have you on. How frank you are when it comes to not only your horses but but the game, and I think at the end of the day, it's all about you just wanting us as a community industry to, to keep rolling on and um, don't get bitter, get better, I say. And uh, I appreciate this little uh, little chat, mate. I'm excited to see what you do with this Kosciuszko. Of course, we saw that we saw it all unfold with It's Me. And, um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see, mate. I tell you, the, 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 the big thing, though, you hit the nail on the head for mine. Um, we're so lucky to be doing what we're doing when, you know, you see the backside out of people's lives at the moment right around the country. Um, I think you hit the nail big time on the head there. Thanks for coming on, Kev. Cheers, mate. Brett Kavanagh from Scone on Monday's Experts. And uh, we'll have that podcast up shortly.
as I said, he's a good man to chat to. He's always frank about his horses, uh, but just a, a little bit behind the name. And there you go. Already getting some texts on the text line saying they had no idea Cav was a, uh, a shearer. And, of course, in 1997, he had that world shearing record when he shore 427 sheep in eight hours um, in the Riverina. And then after that, went to establish himself there in that Riverina area. Um, had success, and just to hear him talk about Black Caviar as well and the connection he had with, obviously, Peter Moody, and they got to go over there and experience that. While we were all up late watching that night, I think, uh, yeah, gives a bit of a, uh, a tingle down the spine, doesn't it?